What does all of this mean moving forward? Well, a lot of things. Uh, no. There's a very short answer to that. Which is? We have no fucking idea. (laughs) It's very true. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Amy, I'm very excited. Why? Because I finally figured out what the figgy port is. Oh, great. What is it? It is uh, the jelly-like substance that my brain has turned into. Uh Aha. Okay. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at (laughs) after the Loki season one finale. God, that Mm -hmm. feels good to say officially. True. Yeah. And we have no idea when season two is coming out. Don't remind me. (laughs) I can't even deal with it. I'm barely processing at this point that it's probably going to be like 18 months. And I just don't even want to contemplate that. But before that, we will see the story progress at least. Yes, yes. Somebody... Get on it. Start sending Doctor Strange uh, some CBD, uh, maybe a handheld massager. He's going to be uh, be pretty stressed out pretty soon. Well, he has all those magic hands. I think he's good. <laughs> Lots of herbal tea for, for Stephen Strange to come. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about here. This was oof, talk about an info dump yesterday that just set the internet and every Marvel fan ablaze. Yeah, we do. So I think we should just get into it because this is going to be a long episode. Yeah. Yeah. So I started freaking out immediately with the titles this episode. Yeah. So we heard clips from the entire MCU and a few add-ons. Yeah. Historical stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, God, it's happening. Shit's going down. (laughs) Did you have any doubts? No, it's just that it's finally here. You know, we've Uh been building up to this. Right, right. This whole opening scene, there's going to be a lot of this, is very reminiscent of Doctor Strange. When the Ancient One first showed him the whole universe. Right, yes. when she. Pushes him out of his body. Yes. Yeah. To, to get him to stop being a douche, basically. Yeah, sometimes extreme measures are needed for douchebags. Yes, I would say in the Marvel Universe, extreme measures are always necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so we see a wide shot of the Citadel and it just looks incredible. And scary. It looks like a haunted house. It looked like the fucking Bates house. Hmm. That's what it reminded me of. And what a fantastic job they did with the production design, the cinematography. I thought this whole creepy Citadel was just the perfect atmospheric segue into Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Right. And that is, again, we are assuming it's going to go there. 
we don't know what's going to happen in the other movies coming before that. True. So we have Loki and Sylvie picking up exactly where they left off, nearly dying at the mouth of Elioth. And now they've finally reached the goal here. Yeah. And Sylvie is taking a minute, just, you know, stealing herself before she goes in. Yeah. This, like she says to Loki, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. Mm -hmm. Everything she's done has led up to this. And he gets that. He gives her the time. and defers to her lead yeah he recognizes not only has she had the better plans thus far but this means something much different to her than it does to him Mm -hmm. so we get inside the castle slowly and i think hiddleston and Martino do a fantastic job of keeping things slow that's got to be really frustrating as an actor you know i don't know i mean it's part of their job to be to do that right to build up the tension absolutely and they do a great job not only of building up the tension with it but god was i just feeling dread the entire episode Mm -hmm. yeah as soon as we get inside this haunted ass castle we know like oh god this is not gonna go well yeah because it is so dark and having the gold streaks all over the place it's it's unusual. It's unsettling. Mm-hmm. Just gives off a sense of foreboding. Mm-hmm. And this design of having the gold streaks reminded me a lot of the Japanese art of kintsugi. What that basically is, is that if a piece of pot- pottery breaks, you don't throw it away, but you glue it back together with gold. So you see the cracks where the piece of pottery had broken, and it just adds to the history and the character of this piece and the whole idea of what doesn't break you makes you stronger. So this was very reminiscent of that for me. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is why everyone should have at least one really cultured friend because (laughs) this would have gone completely over my head. I had no idea what the hell she was talking about when she told me this yesterday. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I looked at the link and I was like, oh, this is important. (laughs) because for all the reasons you just said but also the fact that as we will see throughout there are so many parallels to the sanctum sanctorum and dr strange Mm -hmm. yeah and all the possibilities that now abound right now we're we're getting through this castle everything's quiet now i gotta tell you i'm gonna be driving through the deep south come this fall on the way back to the East Coast. And these Southern accents are just going to give me fucking chills at this point because of this bitch, (laughs) this tiny little bitch. Yeah, that was a bit of a jump scare for you, wasn't it? It was. And that accent was just more jarring than ever because it does not belong in that castle. Yeah. And interestingly, I feel like I have to point this out because it's a personal milestone for me. I didn't get scared when she showed up. I am very proud of you. Guys, that is a big deal. You're getting a golf clap. Thank you. Because I'm going to practically have to drug her to watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Badness. Mm -hmm. Yes. She's dreading it and it's like nine months away. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I can do this. (laughs) So Miss Minutes has a deal for our duo. And it's definitely one of those too good to be true kind of deals. 
True. So basically what her deal is that she will give Loki what he wants, which is to win against the Avengers, become King of Earth, defeat Thanos, get the Infinity Gauntlet and be the most powerful being in the world and to give Sylvie a happy life. Mm -hmm. There's a flicker of emotion. One thing I loved here is that they, they don't buy the bullshit in general, of course. But there is a flicker of emotion on Loki's face that is very telling. So in that moment, we also hear in the score that beautiful Asgard theme. Mm-hmm. And he, he just looks slightly wistful for just a second. And it's not for the idea of a throne. It's not for the idea of power. It's the idea that he gives just a second of thought to the idea that he could save Asgard and his people. Probably. I mean, it is open to interpretation. I think they did a good job of telegraphing that, put it that way. But what I do find interesting is that he waited for Sylvie to accept or reject the proposal. Yeah, he gives her the lead. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is, why make this offer to them? Because this isn't the real offer. This isn't what he who remains wants. I think this is a test to prove that they are the ones who will take over, according to Kang that they are the real deal. They're the ones he's been waiting for. Because we don't know, like with all the timey-wimey bullshit, we don't know if this has happened before. We're seeing this now. We don't know if other variants have tried this before. That is an excellent point. I had not thought of that. And we will refer to him as Kang throughout this episode because he who remains is a lot to say, and it's Kang. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mouthful. Yes. So now I think that would answer your question of why they announced Jonathan Major's casting so long ago. It absolutely did. Yep. Because the reveal is better knowing who he is. Exactly. Yep. Marvel, you win again. Why do I ever doubt you, Feige? Why? (laughs) Why do I doubt? So clearly they turned down this too good to be true offer and pass the test. Yes. So while these two are playing the world's creepiest game of Candyland, we head back to the TVA for a moment where Judge Renslayer is picking through some files. Mm -hmm. And you can see she's on a mission. She is indeed. And uh, Miss Minutes is here to help, hon. (laughs) Yes. So Miss Minutes is downloading some files onto Renslayer's tempad, but they're not the files she requested. Yeah. He thinks these will be more helpful. Who's he? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Kang, it seems, has been keeping an eye on Ms. Renslayer. Which makes sense, because they do have history in the comics, and maybe she is some sort of backup plan. Or he's had experience of some kind, relationships, some kind of interaction with another one of her variants. Maybe. Question is, what's in those files? It's got to be more than just a backup because she doesn't know what it is. No, no, no. The files are not the backup. She is the backup. When I say backup, I don't mean backup of information. I mean a backup plan in case things don't go the way Kang had hoped for or planned for with Loki and Sylvie. Yeah, and things definitely do go awry, at least from Mm -hmm. our point of view. Yeah. 
but did it go exactly the way he planned? Yeah, yeah, he's one shady motherfucker. I have no idea <laughs> how much truth he was telling. There was definitely some truth, mm -hmm. but I have no idea to what extent. Do we know if there's some truth or no? I think we do. I think the fact that everything's branching point to a certain amount of truth, but we'll get there in a bit. Mm -hmm. I have some stuff to say, which I think will lead to you saying rather nasty words at me. So. Oh, I'm already saying nasty words to the writers <laughs> for being so goddamn good at their jobs because they managed to fucking flip me again on something regarding Ms. Renslayer here, and I don't like it. You have been flipped more than a pancake. <laughs> oh, don't make me wistful for pancakes, please. <laughs> okay. There's enough talk of things people can't have in this episode. I can't take it. <laughs> so back at the Citadel, we have some great camera work going on here. Yeah. So this was interesting for me because in the previous episode, episode five, we start the episode. We have that upside down view and then there's this clockwise rotation and we head to the door of the timekeepers and through it. Whereas here we have Loki and Sylvie walking and the rotation is counterclockwise. It has to be intentional. Oh, it is. It's keeping us off balance and it's showing us that they are off balance. Yeah, and I think there's something to do with time as well, because from what we've seen and what we know now at the end of this episode is that the TVA is part of the timeline, even though it's out of it and able to go in and pinpoint and all that stuff it's part of the universe whereas the citadel is outside completely and we can see the timeline physically so being the tva it is you know clocks you can't go backwards it's going clockwise whereas outside time doesn't matter it's going counterclockwise that's a really good catch so we come upon the world's creepiest elevator <laughs> I actually quite like that elevator. It's cool. Yeah, it's comfy. It reminded me of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Well, it's funny you should say that because the TVA elevator was actually filmed at a Marriott. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And even uh, the TVA, the, the big shot where we see the three timekeeper statues, that was a hotel as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marvel has some amazing scouts out there. Mm -hmm. So open sesame goes the elevator and welcome to the MCU, Jonathan Majors. Yeah. And that was super unexpected. Yeah. And I thought this was a great entrance. It's not grand. There's nothing crazy about it. And that's what I enjoyed. Yeah. This is how you subvert expectations well. Yes. Very well said. My Game of Thrones fans know what I'm talking about. Here she goes. So he's very nonchalant, eerily so. Yeah, he almost seems happy. Yeah. And I think he is. Yeah. And we get a great little moment here where even he thinks Miss Minutes is creepy. <laughs> and tells him, oh, my guest, you know, you've arrived. How nice. Let's go into my office. The idea that Kang the Conqueror 
has an office is just hilarious to me. Well, you need to have a place to keep records and keep all your conquering straight. Yeah, yeah. Just the idea of a supervillain like having a home office, you know, a filing cabinet. <laughs> it's just like the TVA. It's so mundane in mm-hmm. a way. It kind of makes it more nefarious. Yeah. And his demeanor, not only is it just delightful to watch, it's a great contrast to the seriousness of the situation. It is absolutely unnerving for both the audience and for Loki and Sylvie who have no idea what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of breaks the tension as well in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, and clearly we can see Jonathan Majors is having a good time playing this. Oh, he took this role for a walk. Yeah. And now, the least analytical person who I have ever met, aka my husband, actually pointed this out and I could not believe it. I'm like, it's bad enough when I have to tell him he's right. It's worse when I have to tell him he's right about something like this. He said to me, I wonder how long it's been since Kang had human contact. And that's why he's so weird about it. Yeah, I was actually going to make a joke about that later on when he's serving tea. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. That made me, <laughs> that made me cackle. Yeah. Yeah, but it's true. It's who knows how long it's been since he's had human contact. Probably the last time he spoke to another human being was when he was before he created the sacred timeline. Yeah, if I only had fucking Miss Minutes to talk to for eons, I'd lose my shit too. Yeah. So all things considered, I think he's pretty stable. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'm kind of cracking after so long. Yeah. So they're in this elevator and Sylvie's like, all right, enough of this shit and keeps trying to kill him unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sylvie keeps trying to kill him, but Kang has this more advanced version of a tempad on his wrist and just, you know, keeps outsmarting her. So I think Sylvie's behavior here, it's important to note, Loki is more reserved and on guard than she is. He is less confident about this whole situation and I think feeling more dread. She's running a little more hot with this, more emotional. Yeah. And also, we know that Loki has a history of analyzing the situation and then making a decision accordingly. Yes. And he's also learning his lessons from the past of not reacting emotionally too quickly. Mm-hmm. And plus for him, the stakes are, le- are lower compared to Sylvie. Yes, they've been on very different journeys to get here. Yeah. And for Sylvie, it's more about, you know, how, how you have exams going on for a really long time and when you have your final paper and it's like okay I just want to get it over with I don't want to wait till tomorrow this Mm -hmm. is what it is with her yeah times a thousand Mm -hmm. so yeah let's head into the office and have some tea shall we yeah I must say I commend him for his hospitality he is a good host you gotta give him that and Mm -hmm. I felt like this was, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but in my mind, it was kind of a wink too, because, you know, he could have served them anything, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of suspension of disbelief in comic book movies throughout the MCU. And, you know, the degrees vary, but 
this is also kind of a wink to the fact that we've been that we've all been forgiving for ten years the fact that the Norse god of mischief has a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like to say, yeah, I'm not giving you guys pickled herring. We know what's really going on here. Have some tea. Two sugars. <laughs> and it's also important to show Loki and Sylvie that for Kang, it's almost like a normal meeting. Oh, come, have some tea. Let's talk. Yeah. And for these guys, it's like the end of the world. What's happening? Yeah. He's just a little bit jaded, I think. I don't know. I mean, considering what he wanted them to do. It's like his retirement party. Kind of. And I was actually thinking of something a bit darker. There have been studies to show that people who have been chronically depressed, when they make the final decision of ending their life, there's a sudden burst of euphoria. And, and they're happy, they're tying up all their loose ends without people maybe realizing it. They start giving their stuff away. And from an outsider's perspective, it may seem, oh, they're, they're doing better. It's great. But internally, it's more like, oh, I'm done. This is it. I'm over. I'm happy because it's going to be over soon. Yeah. Feeling of relief. Mm-hmm. And Kang even says later on, I'm tired. Yeah. He's had enough. Yeah, exactly. So it's when we sit down in this office here that I started getting even more nervous because these windows especially, the set design here is just so reminiscent of the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah, and it's beautiful. I love the colors. It's gorgeous. Now let's talk about uh, Kang's snacking habits here. This is important. <laughs> Healthy habits, I must say. Yeah. So Kang doesn't need to be eating anything. He could be eating any piece of fruit at all or nothing. But they chose to give him an apple. A green apple. Yes. Do we recall what Doctor Strange was, was practicing his time fuckery with in Doctor Strange? A green apple. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, thank you, dear friend of the show, Adana Girl, uh, for pointing this out to me. You really started me thinking about this. So this also relates to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant symbolic choice. So the citadel represents the Garden of Eden, this separate place off the planet, off the universe. Kang is standing in as the Christian god, the creator and knower of all. Loki and Sylvie are standing in as Adam and Eve. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, Eve was made from Adam. And here we have two people with very complicated creation slash origin stories. Mm -hmm. And the apple in uh, the book of Genesis represents temptation. And that is also what evangelicals believe to be the beginning of time. And here we have Loki and Sylvie facing the creation of a brand new timeline right in front of them. So in Genesis, Eve is portrayed as the villain for giving into temptation and eating the forbidden apple. But here, that is not the case at all. What I think they're showing here is that Kang gave in to the temptation of power long ago, and that's how he got here. That's why he's scarfing down that apple. Okay. 
Interesting. And it's also interesting to note that there's also the serpent in Genesis. And we know how much Loki loves snakes, but he is <laughs> not the devil in this case. Yeah, probably. It was a very interesting choice. And I just have to wonder, too, how many apples Jonathan Majors had to eat. <laughs> I hope he liked them. Wouldn't that suck if he hated apples? Yeah, that would. Hopefully he didn't. So we leave these three to their tea and uh, negotiations and head back over to the TVA where Renslayer is now packing. Yeah, she's collecting a lot of files and she's ready to take a trip. But knock, knock. Yeah, Mobius is the last person she expects to see. Yeah, but when she does, it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah, she gives him kind of a sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Couldn't let you get in the way of our mission. Mm-hmm. She cannot accept that her life at the TVA was all for nothing. She will not accept it. Yeah, and I kind of get it. I mean, it's kind of self-preservation, isn't it? Yeah. Because if she does accept it, then she knows that she's responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of people who she killed. and. Her entire life is a lie. I don't blame her. Well, there is a certain selfishness, a certain narcissism to what she's saying, too. She is, to a point, making things about her because it is that. Like, I, you know, she can't accept that her own life was for nothing, but it goes further than that. And we're going to see that in a little while. And that's the part that just sticks in my craw. Damn it. I disagree about the narcissism because what she did is self-preservation. And when she found out the truth, she chose to go along with what's going on because otherwise, like I said, she wouldn't have been able to deal. It's a selfish yeah. de decision what she did. Yeah. But it's not narcissistic. You know why I think I see it that way? Why? Whereas you're seeing it that way. Honestly, I think it's culturally. Politics isn't something we like to bring up on the show, but living in America right now, I mean, I am so beyond sick of the sycophants on the alt-right who just keep doubling and tripling down on dangerous lies in the face of incontrovertible evidence. So I think that's why it's harder for me to have sympathy for her on that note. But there's a key difference. while the alt-right is doubling down on lies, refusing to believe the truth, she's acknowledging the truth and choosing to not do anything about it and choosing to keep things going as they are because she thinks that there's a greater purpose to it. And that's the second part, yep. She may be right after everything we've seen. That's the hard part because in that case, her and Sylvie really aren't all that different. Yeah, exactly. And I think earlier on in the previous episodes, you said Loki and Sylvie were two sides of the same coin. I feel now that it's Rensselaer and Sylvie that are two sides of the same coin. They both made the same decisions, the selfish decisions, but they went in different ways. I think you're right. 
Renslayer wanted to keep things going as they are, as her form of self-preservation. And Sylvie wanted to destroy things so that she could have a life. They both wanted to do things for themselves. And I'll tell you this, I have never been so enraged by a pen in my life. (laughs) See, if you had the same paranoia about the pen as you did with the mailman, you would have been a lot more at peace right now. I know, I'd look like a genius. So I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) noticed them lingering on this Franklin D. Roosevelt School pen in episode two. We lingered on that. We lingered on it again in another moment. And I was like, no, Krista, learn your lessons from WandaVision. Be a good girl. Shut up about the pet. And (laughs) God damn it, they tricked us. So the next time you're not going to shut up about anything. Got to pick my battles better. Mm -hmm. So that takes us to FDR school, 2018, Fremont, Ohio. Right. Where... B-15 is hiding from the other hunters. Yeah, about that. How did she escape the time cell? I would guess that Mobius was the one who freed her. How did he find her? He's an analyst. He knows where things are. He's probably put people there before. We don't know that. Renslayer put her in there and Renslayer's been keeping a lot of secrets. We already know there's plenty Mobius didn't know about the TVA, so I don't think we can assume... He knew about those, but also there are a lot of time theaters. We've seen them numbered. Mm-hmm. And those same hunters are going to freak if they see him because they pruned him. So it's not like he could just run around to all the different time theaters looking for time cells that he may or may not know exist. couple of explanations here. One, if Mobius was roaming around, one, he was wearing the same uniform that he always does as the analyst. So he's not exactly standing out. And people tend to not concentrate so much on people's faces you know as long as they look like they they belong that's one and two if he saw extra guards outside a particular theater he might just walk in thinking that that's b15 because he knows how Renslayer operates they've been friends for eons yeah i don't know it was a little curious to me Just because we've concluded now that we can't make assumptions about certain things we saw Mm -hmm. in this episode. So because Renslayer is also using that same, for lack of a better word, pack of hunters for these seemingly most difficult jobs. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that because one of them is very distinct looking. Hunter C90, I believe. He looks like Zachary Quinto and Christian Bale had a kid. (laughs) And sounds like it. Yeah, so he's more active in the field and he does more of the the active work. Whereas we've seen in the TVA, even within the hunters, there seems to be a hierarchy because the ones with more power tend to have black uniforms through and through with orange highlights, whereas the lower echelon hunters seem to have a brown uniform with black protection. That's true. So it's possible that the people guarding were the lower echelon people. True. So B-15 has lured C-90 into this school, into this particular office, because uh, she needs to show him some visual proof. Mm -hmm. And that proof goes by the name of Rebecca Tormine. Right. She is the principal 
of the school. But what C90 really needs to know is she's not Judge Renslayer, despite looking like the same person. Exactly. And we cut off there when B-15 tells him that we need to talk. Yeah. So it's probably safe to assume that now she explained to him that Renslayer is a variant and so is he. And I assume that conversation would have gone a little easier now that he saw Sylvie self-prune. Maybe. Because the look on his face when that happened spoke volumes in the courtroom. He was like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. So while those two have their chat, we head back over to Kang's office where Sylvie, (laughs) Sylvie has really misunderstood the situation to this point. She thinks they've won. Mm -hmm. She wants to think that they won. She has to. Yeah. There is a lot of Sylvie trying to convince herself of things in this episode and she can't. Mm -hmm. She keeps trying to kill Kang, but he knows what's coming. He's got the paperwork to prove it. (laughs) All comes down to the paperwork, people. Yeah, yeah. The true blight of human existence. Red tape. Well, it's true what they say. The only thing certain in life are death and taxes. And in this case, paperwork as well. Yes. And Kang tells them, I know it all. And I've seen it all. And this is the the first big gut punch here. When we discover that Loki and Sylvie have had free will on their way to this citadel, but the game was rigged. Was it free will? I think it was. But because Kang had control and had things mapped out, I think he steered the course so much. And because he's seen their lives, And has the ability to know them so well that he could steer things in just such a way. You know what I mean? I see where you're coming from, but I don't think so. Because we've seen how the TBA is so strict about anything being even a little bit off. And immediately the person gets caught and pruned. I think there's more going on over here. More invisible strings being pulled than Loki and Sylvie know and maybe it wasn't free will all along that they were meant to go through this path and they did and that's what he tells them he said it all needed to happen to get to this point yeah this reminds me a lot of the first and the second season of Westworld are you familiar with the story of Westworld in any way No. Okay. So Westworld is like a theme park. Think of it as Disneyland, but a much darker version of it. You have robots who are human looking and you as a person, when you come in, are able to do anything and everything you wish to do in this park. It's like a choose your own adventure. Whatever you want to do, you can do. And one of these robots was glitching. She started remembering her previous life. And by previous life, I mean the previous life she was programmed to be. And her previous life included having a child. So when she remembered that, she wanted to go meet the child, yada, yada. And then she realized that she's not 
a person. She's a robot and she's been programmed her whole life. So she essentially became sentient and chose to break out of Westworld and go out into the real world. And she did a lot of things in order to do that by making people who repaired them to change her code so that she was able to change parameters within her own coding and do what she wanted to do. But in the second season, we find out that that was part of her programming. She was supposed to play the story all along. So even though she gained sentience, she wasn't actually sentient. Interesting. Yeah. It's very murky at this point. It is. It is very, very murky and very stressful. And I do not like it. (laughs) It's true. I've never been so stressed out about a TV show (laughs) in my life. Yeah. And this is a really tough pill to swallow, especially for Sylvie. This is like her moment of this parallels Renslayer finding out the timekeepers aren't real. You know, this is her moment of not being able to face this. And this is when Kang takes the opportunity to try and play Loki and Sylvie against each other. And my heart started pounding. (laughs) So, yeah, so that goes to show that he's still trying to manipulate. Although at this point, he's doing it in a rather heavy handed way. Yes, he certainly is. So it could also go to further explain like what we said earlier. Even though he knows how to play things from a distance, he isn't good with social interaction. For sure. And once this happens, it was not Loki. I was worried about making a mistake. It was Sylvie. Mm -hmm. So back at the TVA, Renslayer and Mobius are still having it out here. Mm -hmm. And I think this was a necessary conversation. Absolutely. And one thing she says here, while I see the parallels between her and Sylvie, I still have more problems with Renslayer because she says here, only one person gets free will, the one in charge. Bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, it also sounds a lot like conditioning. Yeah. She sounds like a cult member. Yeah. She sounds like one of Jim Jones's hardcore members who, you know, voluntarily drank the Kool-Aid down there and injected other people with the cyanide down in Jonestown. She is doubling down and sticking with the party line to the end. Yeah. And they add yet another layer to Renslayer here. And again, Gugu Mabatha Raw is just fantastic. She's amazing. She's fantastic. Because she is not only furious with Mobius, she's hurt. Genuinely. You betrayed me, she says to him. Yeah. She calls what he's having... A crisis of faith. Yeah. And I can see where she's coming from. I don't necessarily agree with her. Haven't we had friends who we've been close to and then one person has changed either for the better or for the worse, many times for the better, and the other friends in that circle are not happy when you change? You are absolutely right about that. Yep. Definitely. So this is a case of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And on a broader scale, I really identified with Mobius in this moment too, because we've made the parallels to the Catholic Church before. For me, this is Mobius looking at, after all the Catholic Church has done, looking at people and saying, how can you keep going back? You know? Mm -hmm. So Mobius is still holding out hope that in his mind, she'll come to her senses, work with him to fix things. Yeah. But she can't. No. If she does, she will break down. Yeah. Yeah. She won't survive that. And yeah. not only that, but Mobius does not have the killer instinct. He was never a hunter. I think we can say that with certainty now. Yeah. And he makes kind of this half-hearted attempt to prune her and she is having none of it. <laughs> yeah, that must have been the easiest takedown she ever had to do. Yeah, and I have no doubt that Gugu Babathara also could kick Owen Wilson's ass in real life without a problem. <laughs> she may be tiny, but my money's on her. Yeah. But she does show mercy here. She doesn't kill or prune him. Yeah, she doesn't. And, you know, I got to say, I may not like her, but she's got good taste in briefcases. Agreed. So all Mobius can do is watch her open that time door. And says, where are you going? In search of free will. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's her metaphorical way of saying she's going to look for whoever gave her those files. Yes. Go meet the person in charge. Yes. So it could also imply that even though she was saying stuff to Mobius, she's going on a mission to get free will, to find her free will. I have no clue where, where or when she might have gone. Yeah. This finale has given us more questions than answers. Yeah. I both love and hate it at the same time. I love it more than I hate it. The hate is more for the impatience of waiting for the next season. But that just means they did their job so well. Yeah. They're going to have us all salivating. Well, knowing me, I'll forget everything by the time the second season comes around. So. Oh, don't worry. I'll remind you. <laughs> so we like to think of the marvelous What's up, Madam nerds? Tyler Mack here from the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, the flagship show of Badcast Company Productions. I am interrupting us, your regularly podcast scheduled out. podcast to tell you about the show. At 30 and Nerdy Podcast, we talk all things nerd culture and do it while entertaining, enlightening, and educating the masses of the nerd world order. So when you're done with this phenomenal show you're already listening to, zoom on over to 30 and Nerdy Podcast, hit that subscribe button, give it a listen, a rating, and review, and don't forget to check out 30andnerdypodcast.com. Cheers to you, nerds. So back at Kang's humble citadel here, we have another great exposition dump because not only is Jonathan Majors captivating, but the effects they use here are fantastic. Yeah, that 3D animated effect thing was wonderful. It reminded me a lot of minis in D&D games. Mm -hmm. It made me think of the Jumanji figurines too. In the original movie? Yeah. 
Huh. Okay. So we learned that Kang is a variant from the 31st century, which thankfully my co-host was quick to make me realize that that is in the future and not 31 BC as it was in my mind for some reason. (laughs) So he was this scientist who discovered that the universes are stacked on top of each other. And they started communicating, which always leads to problems. Yeah. And he started communicating with his own variants. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing. Yeah. And some of them were good. And they all started sharing technology with each other. And everything was hunky-dory. Now, before things start getting bad, there's certain things I want to discuss. Specifically about the technology. Mm Mm-hmm. Now we can understand that the tempads and all the technology that the TVA has, including the pruning sticks and... And tiny bitch. And tiny bitch and the reset charges is all technology from way, way far ahead. And this technology has come and gone from the various different multiverses. It's not necessary that it was all invented on our Earth. Right. And specifically, Miss Minutes. Remember I told you Miss Minutes knows all? Mm-hmm. You were right. Yep. And I said she was an AI. So she's basically from the future. And another thing that we should note is that while many people at the TVA have tempads, Kang's tempad is very different from the rest. Mm-hmm. I think his is a more superior, exclusive version. Well, of course. I'm sure Steve Jobs had his own very special iPhone. (laughs) The others at the TVA have to program in where they want to go. Whereas with Kang, it seems like all he needs to do is touch it and probably think about it. And he does what he wants to do. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. create a door for him to walk through. He literally just jumps through it. Thanks to that. Right. So crazy wars started as all these variants of himself fought to preserve their own universes and annihilate the others. One variant of his in particular wanted to conquer the other universes. And that's Mm. where it all started. Yeah. So this Kang, he's very proud of the fact that he was the one to weaponize Eliath and Mm -hmm. harness that power to end the multiversal war. What he implied is that he sent allies to all the other multiverses and killed all of them to preserve the one nice guy nice guy yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so he isolated the sacred timeline and created the tva to prevent things from getting out of hand again and Mm -hmm. also ensuring that there would be no other versions of himself to come along and try to seize power correct and he does something here that's just great He gets up on this desk and I felt like Jonathan Major's performance here was very Joker-esque, specifically Heath Ledger's Joker. So one of the things that is most unsettling about Heath Ledger's incredible performance in The Dark Knight is that you truly do not know what he is going to do from one moment to the next. I remember the first time seeing that in theaters being on the edge of my seat and legitimately scared because I had no idea what that psycho was going to do. And it even comes through on subsequent viewings. And that's how I felt here. Majors isn't scary. 
in the same way that Heath Ledger's that Heath Ledger was, but he brings an unpredictability to things of where is this guy going to go with this? What is he going to do? He's like, he's moving and he's fidgety and he's just making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason he's making me uncomfortable because he's got some charm. He's got a lot of charisma. Yeah, absolutely. And this is again, perfect casting by Marvel because He's got me half convinced that he did the right thing. He is clearly a power-hungry fascist, but he's so convincing in his own self-righteous idea of benevolence that he's kind of getting me a little bit. Yeah, and that's how he seems to have gotten Loki as well. Yeah, fear. And I think for Loki, it's also, again learning his own lessons. What Kang says here, stifling order or cataclysmic chaos. I think Loki is very torn by this because he knows what he was in the past. He also knows what his purpose had been meant to be. It's quite a cosmic and psychological conundrum all around. It is, but isn't it also more likely for Loki to believe something like this because he has been mentally in that place where he wanted that power, where he thought that it was justified. I think for very different reasons. And it's it's clear he's not that guy anymore. I think what's driving yeah. him, I think what's driving him more here is fear of screwing up, of the stakes being so yeah. high and what it could mean for Sylvie. Yeah, but you misunderstand me. I'm not saying that he wants it now. Mm-hmm. I'm saying he understands it because he's been there. Yeah. I think he also recognizes that the ideology he was putting out there was bravado, that it mm -hmm. wasn't real. This is real. Kang is a true believer in everything he is saying. Loki never was. Mm -hmm. It was all a facade. So I think maybe that's the part that's scaring him the most of like, oh my God, is it actually may be necessary, at the very least, we've got to think this through. And I'm with right. him there. Sylvie, on the other hand, thinks Kang is entirely full of shit. Yeah, so I don't think Kang is full of shit, but I don't know if it is completely warranted either. I'm with you. I think Sylvie has to believe he's full of shit, much in the same way Renslayer does. Yeah. Because she can't cope with any other reality. Mm -hmm. And for her to accept that this is the way it has to be, her entire life meant nothing. Yeah. And this is when this bastard presents them with their two options. Yeah. Loki and Sylvie can either take over running the TVA or kill Kang and break open the multiverse for another war. Unleashing super dangerous variants, not just of Kang, but of themselves and of others. So my question is, and I think that they framed this purposely in this way. Kang says they take over or they kill him. What happens to Kang if they take over? And why couldn't they take over and then kill him? 
also, why them? Yeah, why them? What is so special about these two particular variants? And why does it also need to be them together? What if this was Kang's plan all along, knowing that they wouldn't take over? And it would unleash all his variants. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking. If this Kang was dead set tired on not continuing for the rest of eternity, he wanted to die. He let these two people come through, follow the path, blah, 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 have this conversation, knowing full well that Sylvie would not accept this and would kill him. Because he does say at one point that I will die on this chair with with a sword through my chest. And that's exactly how Sylvie killed him. I didn't catch that. And the reason why he wanted them there and to have this entire conversation, explain everything to them, was so that they go back out into the timeline, into the multiverse, to fix it in another way where he is not needed. So you think it is benevolent in that regard? Maybe, maybe not. It's benevolence because of selfishness and tiredness. Could be. Yeah, that's a definite possibility. And he's talking here about going through all the scenarios and finding the only one that works. Gee, who does that sound like? Exactly. So even when Doctor Strange did that, he didn't outright come and tell Tony that this is what you need to do and this is how you do it. And that's how the scenario comes to fruition and we win. He let Tony figure shit out for himself. The only thing Strange did was to ensure that Thanos didn't kill him. And in the middle of the fight, Strange just gave him that little push by showing him the finger. Yes, you're right. So what Doctor Strange did is kind of like what Kang is doing. Giving them a push, knowing how they would react. Because no sane person will ever think that Loki and Sylvie will be content to take over this job. Yeah, because Sylvie wants no part of this. She says to him, you treated people's lives like some kind of game. And how could it not be personal to her? Yeah. And Loki, had he not changed, he would have absolutely taken it. Yeah. But because he's changed, he's not taking it. Yeah. Sylvie is more angry here. Loki is more scared. Mm -hmm. And I was too, because I know exactly where Sylvie's head is right now. I get it. And Mm -hmm. that's why I was so worried about what she was going to do. And I also can't blame Loki and Sylvie for not thinking of any kind of third option here. What Kang's doing, because there's a time limit here, he feels this shift and says, we've crossed this threshold of time and things already start branching. What he's doing here reminded me very much of a nasty pressuring tactic that used car salesmen like to use. Yeah. You put time pressure, you know, on people in the moment and it it doesn't give them a chance to think. Now, in this case, there's a lot more at stake than a $25 deposit. <laughs> so I can't blame them for not having the presence of mind to not figure out a third option. To give Loki credit, he was trying. He tried as hard as he could to just get Sylvie to take a breath and think for a minute. Yeah. 
And just like it is with used car salesmen everywhere, this is a bastard move Kang is pulling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just awful to put these two in this position. Granted, they're not innocent, especially Loki. But still, this is an absolutely impossible choice. Yeah, it is. You make a split decision and regret it for the rest of your life either way. Yeah. He's literally putting the fate of the universe onto them. Yeah, and not even giving them a chance to think about it, whereas he had a very long time to plan and oh, think yeah. about it. Yeah, And knowing Endless. full well that this was his own fault, he was the one who got them all connected, the, the multiverses. Right. So if he is lying about this, this threshold, and not knowing what comes next, truly not knowing how he's going to die, all of that, then he's doing a good job of covering it because he did seem to be legitimately freaked out here for the first time ever, not knowing what's going to happen, what's going to be written. Mm -hmm. And we see these timelines already branching and Loki's keeping the cooler head here, but Sylvie just can't do it. Yeah. And these timeline branching is something that I, I'm confused about why they're branching. Stop asking me these questions. <laughs> I don't know the physics. I don't know either. That's why I'm asking. I'm confused. This is another thing that is kind of murky that we need more information on. Yeah. So based on the logic of what we've seen so far that anything happens beyond the sacred timeline becomes branch. If Kang was speaking the truth, nothing that these guys have done so far was a variance. And even if it was, they were outside the timeline. So why was it branching? Uh, I don't know. Unless Kang inviting them in was the Nexus event. Sure. Could be. Sound more convincing, please. <laughs> I just don't know. I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who, but I'm going to start saying timey wimey wibbly wobbly because that's exactly what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And why does he not know what's going to happen after whatever those 10 seconds ago? Yeah. Is it because it's the moment of his death and like, in certain, I cannot remember what time travel, sci-fi show, movie I've seen, where you can't know the moment of your own death. Perhaps. Is it because of that? Or was it that moment where Sylvie decided, no matter what, I am going to kill him? Yeah, because she definitely is. She goes to kill him immediately, but Loki stops her. And this is the beginning of an awesome fight scene yeah and sylvie is desperately trying to convince herself that loki's been playing her that he's about to betray her you can see it she doesn't believe it but she wants to because it would make what she's about to do easier on her yeah this is her lashing out absolutely pushing him she's, away she's too invested she's too tortured and i can't mm -hmm. blame her yeah, absolutely. 
Loki has the luxury of looking at this more objectively because he doesn't have the history that she does. Yeah, true. So it's totally understandable where they're both coming from. And like I said before, he doesn't want to repeat his own mistakes of acting rashly and emotionally. And I want to make something Mm -hmm. very clear. I am not saying, oh, it's the woman who's being so emotional. No. Anybody, regardless of gender, would react the way Sylvie is reacting. This has absolutely nothing to do with the emotional woman trope. Because Sylvie has been the one taking charge the entire time. Yeah. And speaking of that, it's been interesting. We have seen Loki tear up far more in the series than Sylvie. Yes, we have. And with what we know now about Renslayer, isn't it just incredible that when it comes down to it, it's actually really been two women driving this show? Yeah, pretty much. It's just brilliant the way they've managed to make a show called Loki. That's when it comes down to it. It's not really about him. And it's awesome because that's exactly the lesson he needed to learn. Yeah. So it is and it isn't. It's just been masterful. And that's exactly what he's trying to get across to Sylvie here. He's saying to her, this is bigger than our experience. And this is like heartbreaking. He is just begging and pleading with her. Yeah, but she she can't think straight right now. No. And the choreography here, too, is fantastic. Yeah, it was almost like a dance. It really was. And to have this incredibly emotional dialogue, too, while they're doing it is a credit to both of them. Yeah. And you can see that Loki's holding back. He's not attacking. He's defending. Yes. He is doing everything in his power not to hurt her. Mm-hmm. And oh, shit. When Sylvie knocks him back into that bookcase with a magic blast. I thought, oh, shit, they fully have each other's powers now. She's much stronger than she was. Yeah, so not only has he learned how to, how to enchant from her, she's learned how to do his tricks. Yeah, and there's a lot more for her now to play with. Yep. I was absolutely freaking out here of what Sylvie might accidentally do. And she's even trying to get him to hurt her. Yeah, it's actually kind of a role reversal from the first Thor movie. You're absolutely right. When he was begging Thor to fight him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that. You are so right. I didn't even realize it. And that also gives even more credence to what Loki says to her here. When he reappears in front of that sword, man, what a moment that was. You can practically feel that knife up against him. Yeah, that was very, very well done. And the sound effect of him thumping into her at the desk, wonderfully done. Yeah. He says to her, I've been where you are. I've felt what you feel. He is talking about that fight with Thor. He is talking about hanging off the bridge. Yeah. And at that point, he was also willing to commit genocide just to get his father's approval. Yeah. and. Sylvie over here doesn't care about multiversal wars or anything like that. She just wants what she wants is her life. Yeah. 
And he tells her, I don't want a throne. And then says, super generic, but I think one of, if not the most important lines of this entire series, as far as Loki's character art goes, I just want you to be okay. Mm -hmm. That is love. True. If he had just said, I just want you, that's selfish. But I just want you to be okay. That is selfless. And that is truly love on his part that he has finally learned. And this is the most honest thing he's ever said. And Sylvie knows it. The look on her face, the tears that we really haven't seen before from her, that tells us everything. Mm -hmm. And she drops the sword. And that kiss says so very much. It does. Yeah. I think it was a combination of, I love you. I'm sorry. Goodbye. Yeah. And it was also a distraction to get to the tempad to do what she needed to do. Yeah. I'm not convinced on that one because she was powerful before and now she's just supercharged. I don't think she had to kiss him to be able to get him through that door, especially when He's basically laid everything down. He's not going to hurt her in any way. I think she could have gotten him through that door just fine. Yeah, she didn't have to. But it was a nice way to do it. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? <laughs> Did I just hear you correctly? And when I say nice, I mean tactically. <laughs> so. What Sylvie chooses to do here is push Loki through a time door back to the TVA. And I think ge this gesture says as much as the kiss. This gesture tells us that she does love him because she could have killed him, one. And two, that's also her way of keeping him safe because at least at the TVA, she knows that he'll be insulated as best as possible from all the chaos that's about to come down. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also her way of trying, at least in her mind, to absolve him of blame for this. Like, she took the initiative here. I'm keeping you safe. You're gone. This is a very, again, switching the classic gender roles of man protecting woman. This is woman protecting man and saying, no, this is my decision. I'm taking charge here. This is not your fault. He did everything short of killing her to try and stop her from doing this. She's owning her choice by sending him back. Yeah, she absolutely is owning it. Yeah. And it's her way of saying, I don't want you to come in the way of what I need to do. Yeah, that too. Yeah. This is her taking her power back and what she feels she's doing, returning power back to all the other variants and everyone in the universe. I don't think she's thinking about that right now. I think she's just thinking vengeance. In this moment, you're probably right. That's number one for her. And I can't blame her. Honestly, I'm pretty sure I would have done the exact same thing. With one exception, I would have definitely used um, a Zach Morris timeout and found a bed first. 
But other than that. Okay. Okay. This is a classy <laughs> podcast. Time out. It's like, come on, Ken. This castle huge. There's got to be one bed in here somewhere. You got to sleep. Moving on. So with that said, I think it is very important to recognize that Sylvie is not a villain here. I wouldn't even say she betrayed Loki. She just made a choice. Yeah, but I don't think she's a villain either. No. Kang is the villain. You're absolutely right. He forced their hand. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Sylvie's will was stronger than Loki's. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and also, we can't blame Sylvie because she doesn't know whether Kang is lying or telling the truth. Right. The timeline's branching could have been a trick. If he's all that powerful, it could just be a trick. Yeah, and I don't think Loki will see it as a betrayal either. I think something he says shortly confirms that, but he understands her. He's been where she's been. And mm-hmm. I think I think he's also perfectly smart enough to realize that her sending him back was confirmation of her feelings for him. And that kiss was very real. So Sylvie picks up her sword and stabs Kang right in the heart. And what does he say? See you soon. Oh. I think that was also for us as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Despite the fact that he said that with a smile on his face, that chilled my blood. (laughs) That was meant to. Mm -hmm. I'm also very concerned that this is a good one. Yeah, just imagine how bad the other ones were. Mm-hmm. And we only see just a couple seconds of Sylvie's reaction here. I don't know, and we'll have to wait God knows how long to find out. I don't know if her reaction was, oh, fuck, I just made a colossal mistake, or just the trauma of completing this mission. I would say it's the trauma of completing the mission because she's still not being able to think straight. The adrenaline is still pumping and she just hit that point of exhaustion like, I am done. This is over. And now, after she has a few minutes to process, that's when she will realize whether she's done a good thing or a bad thing or what are the repercussions of that. She's not thinking right now. She's purely running on anger and adrenaline. Back of the TVA, Mobius and B-15 are seeing the effects of this. They're looking at the monitor as they watch everything branching out. Mm-hmm. And it's important to note where they are. They're at that like main terminal area. Correct. Where all the other analysts are sitting. Yes. They are also very calm and they seem very resolved and steadfast about this situation. Important. And then we find Loki where he has spent so much time in this series, and that is on the floor. (laughs) He is a mess. Yeah. I think it's safe to say he is more fucked right now than he's ever been. Agreed. And he really, really needs a change of clothes. The John McClane of the MCU, yes. He is the epitome of a sweaty mess at this point. And don't get me wrong, I'm here for it. But he's like past the point of shower now. We're in hose down territory. Yes, agreed. But I actually think this is a really important thing to note. So this goes back to Lamentus. 
back in episode three, we talked about how we weren't sure at that point if everything we were seeing on Lamentis was real. And we know now that everything was at face value. Everything happened as we saw it. But one of the things we thought was fishy was that Loki changed from his Smurf uniform back to his TVA clothes. And we thought, Mm -hmm. why would he do that? Like, this is a guy who loves his designer suits. And I understand now that that's because he was already changing by that point. And what we see now with him staying in the TVA uniform the entire time is that he doesn't give a shit anymore about that superficial stuff. Yeah, he has bigger things to think about. Right. The clothes were all just part of the bravado. So he doesn't care about wearing this disgusting shirt. It's got a big hole in it. It's all bloody and gross. It's not who he is anymore. And like you just said, he has bigger fish to fry. I'm happy to help hose him down at any point, Marvel. Just putting that out there. I have a feeling the hunters were running away from him, not because they were running away to branch timelines. (laughs) So Loki takes off through the TVA looking for Mobius. He finally finds him with B-15 in the library, which Mm -hmm. I admit didn't strike me as weird at first. And they're staring at B-15's tempad. Mobius is very nervous about 63 new branches appearing. He seems confused. And B-15 says, does he want us to just let them all branch? Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and if you notice closely, which is something that I noticed at least in the second watch, because obviously in the first watch it was a bit of a surprise, Throughout the episode, B-15 had a cut on her lip, but not in this scene. And with Mobius, he looked kind of disheveled because obviously he'd just come back from the void. Whereas this Mobius was, his tie was tied properly, his shirt was ironed, he was looking ready for work. Like he didn't just go through hell and back. Yeah, that's a good catch. I missed that part. Hmm. So in comes Loki, who is frantic. He is crying. He's freaking out. And he tells them, we made a terrible mistake. That's important. Even though Sylvie's choice was not his fault, he's not throwing her under the bus. He is accepting part of the blame for all of this. Yeah. That is huge character development. True. And you know what he really reminded me of in this moment is like a little kid who just got hurt. And runs to their mom and is trying to spit out the story of what happened, but can't, you know? Mm -hmm. And it becomes very clear that uh, not only do Mobius and B-15 not have any clue what the hell he's talking about, but they don't know who the hell he is. Yeah. And this is another reason why it's important he stuck with that TVA uniform, because that's saving his ass right now. Yeah, and I also feel part of the reason why Mobius and B-15 aren't recognizing him is because it's kind of embarrassing to acknowledge the crazy smelly guy around you you don't want to know that person you know (laughs) so mobius thinks he's a tva analyst and that's when loki looks over and sees a different statue now it's just one kang as timekeeper right and this reminded me so much of the ending to Planet of the Apes, when Charlton Heston also sees a giant statue and realizes reality is not what he thought it was. Mm -hmm. 
So the question is, did Sylvie send him to another universe or did the universe change? Yeah. I do not think Sylvie anticipated that at all. Mm -hmm. I don't think she anticipated any of that. Neither did Loki. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about being up Shit's Creek without a paddle, without a boat, uh, without shoes. He's pretty well fucked right now. I mean, he is as messed up as he is in the show. At, at least in the creek, he'll clean off some of that crime. <laughs> so before we talk more about implications moving forward, give us a little bit of a primer on Kang Immortus. So Kang is one of the incarnations or pseudonyms of Nathaniel Richards. And this particular variant that we've seen the closest variant we have in the comics is Immortus. He calls himself the master of time, but Kang, another variant, rather thinks of him as the gardener of time because he prunes away the chronal branches deemed by others to be dangerous. And he was the one who was from Earth 616, aka our Earth, and he's a time traveler who brought peace to the multiverse. And another aspect of this is that Immortus revealed himself to Ravona and won her loyalty because he was a more peaceful version of Kang, even though Kang had pursued Ravona, but she wasn't interested in him. Yes. So what does all of this mean moving forward? Well, a lot of things. Uh, no, there's a very short answer to that. Which is? We have no fucking idea. <laughs> it's very true. So the multiverse has just been busted wide open. Possibilities abound. And with this ending and the confirmation of Loki season two, I think it's clear that Marvel just made Loki a cornerstone of phase four. One of the points of the magical triad mm -hmm. with Doctor Strange. And Scarlet Witch. So expect to see some version of Loki in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We guess so. And also, this actually got me thinking. At the end of WandaVision, the post credit scenes, while Wanda was reading The Darkhold, she could hear her kids. Uh huh. Was she hearing her multiverse version of her kids? I think so. Was that the moment when the multiverse, you know, happened? I don't know. <laughs> what I do know, though, is that I think by the end that between Doctor Strange 2 and Loki season two, by the time that finishes filming, I think Tom Hiddleston is going to need like intensive therapy to avoid a straitjacket for all the madness that is going to go on with this character. Kind of like uh, what happened to Gary Oldman, where he did so many different accents in movies for so long that he forgot his own like he forgot how to speak normally <laughs> like he had to go to a dialect coach and relearn his normal accent <laughs> yeah and i think we will need some kind of therapy as well because things are getting interesting yeah i expect a spider-man trailer any day now we've opened the door for any way the X-Men can come in, Fantastic Four, we know that movie is coming. 
everyone and everything is possible. And before any of that, we know that what if is happening, which is connected to the multiverse. So chances are that each episode is a standalone story of how things were in a different universe. Yeah. So I said to you, what, four days ago, oh, what if will be a nice emotional break since none of that stuff's going to matter. And then then I watched this finale and said, <laughs> I'm going to go jump off a bridge now. Bye-bye. Yeah. See why I said we need the mental help? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, she has lost her mind since yesterday. <laughs> yes, my brain is just pudding at this point. Yeah. It's been a very intense six weeks. <laughs> yes. So now that the multiverse is, you know, open and shit's hitting the fan, I was wondering about the Citadel. I mentioned about Kintsugi and how... The fractured pieces are put together with gold. I was wondering, what if the Citadel is a product of the various different multiverses? And Kang brought them all together and created the one Citadel. I think that is entirely possible. Yeah, because what I feel like is that this rock where the Citadel sits, it looked destroyed when we saw it right at the beginning. I think this was also destroyed during the multiversal war. This was a spot where all these other variants used to come together to meet. Kind of like a halfway point between multiverses. Yeah, could be. And they had their own sort of energies and that's how the Citadel is standing there. Because it's different parts from different multiverses. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody, let's all take a breath decompress from these last six weeks and try not to think about the agony of waiting that is to come <laughs> till first December and then next March and then God knows when. Mm -hmm. So before we thank a few people this week, we want to give an extra special shout out to the winner of our Loki canvas poster giveaway at J Wolf FH and yours, buddy. Congratulations. And yes. people get in touch with you for shipping details and all of that. Yes. Thank you to everyone who participated. And now onward with the shout outs. At Bacon Fork, we too would watch Mobius show, which is why we're so thrilled we'll see him again in season two. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Tell me about it. That is one thing we forgot to mention. Yes. Everybody survived. Everybody's coming back for season two. Can't wait to see this cast together again. Mm -hmm. Marvel understands that they really caught lightning in a bottle with this crew. Yeah. And speaking of Mobius, Matthew, we're holding out hope that our Mobius will one day get his jet ski. We cannot assume that this imposter that we saw at the end will also love jet ski. Alex. You were half right. Kang was keeping an eye on Renslayer. She wasn't cahooting with him before, but she is now, we think. At Sneaky Shadower, I didn't want the show to end either, and now I'm decompressing. Let us know how your brain's doing. Nancy and Suzanne, thank you so much for the kind words about our interview with Natalie Holt. Everybody, if you haven't checked out that interview, 
go take a listen. Natalie is absolutely brilliant. And remember, the other half of the Loki soundtrack drops July 23rd. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today and for this amazing six-week ride of Loki. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. And join us next week for a very special listener roundtable discussion of Loki with a few lovely ladies. In the meantime, if you want to share some of your own theories moving forward for Phase 4, find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And for deeper dives you won't hear on the podcast, check out our blog at themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. You're going to quibble? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm tired, okay? <laughs> My hips hurt. I'd say I want to go home, but I already am. <laughs> Your hips are shaking? <laughs> I'll get it. Shakira. Oh, really? Now, if you had said hips don't lie, I would have gotten that. Well, your hips don't lie. That's well, you're that tired that you couldn't remember something Shakira said. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. We need to get you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs>